0: what's up everybody today dude today's a big episode i'm not even gonna lie this was a pretty interesting moment last week where kate posted and we just collectively decided like hey we we gotta talk about this we have to talk about this idea that i mean let's just say it our wives obligated to have sex with their husbands That's the episode today. I can't wait to get into it because, of course, we have to talk about (laughs) 1 Corinthians 7. And I'll just be honest, it's a little bit easier to do that on a podcast than Instagram comments. And more importantly, you know, you might be like, well, you're obviously going to come at this from one side. I promise you guys. You know, one of my favorite things that we do at Heart of Dating is we really do try to come with a whiteboard to scripture to form our opinion and the basis of how we function and how we teach, I promise you what we do not do is say, hey, here's my opinion. Let me go to scripture to see how I can pull verses across the Bible, ignoring their context to support my opinion. You see the difference? So that's really what we've done in season 10. We've said, hey, let's ignore everything we've learned from hip hop culture, from movies, from James Bond, from Disney, And let's talk about sex as if we had no idea, and we'll start at the Bible, and we'll see what God says about sex, and how does God celebrate sex, and what are the key contexts of sex. Is it celebrated? Is it hush-hush? What is sex? What's it supposed to look like? And so that's been super amazing for us to talk about, including this week. If you guys did not get to listen, I'll just go ahead and say that. This past Wednesday, the episode with Judah and Chelsea was probably one of my favorite episodes that I've ever recorded. One and two that I've gotten to listen to. Like, it is so rare to get a snapshot like that, to get stories like that, to just get so much empathy. It was so cool. And what made it special was they wanted to do the episode. It wasn't a favor, it wasn't an ask when presented with that opportunity, they genuinely wanted to do it, which is super humbling, super amazing. And so we just hope that you guys enjoy that episode. You shared it with your friends because for us, even just as speakers, it was super healing and encouraging and challenging in, in every sense. So again, season 10, season X, it's been amazing. Uh, one other housekeeping thing, we're doing some heart of dating events. So really what happened was, conference was insane. And we can only do conference really once a year. But our thought process was this, what if we could strip down conference and do more micro events throughout the US? Would that be awesome? And so we would love to do that. So in the fall, this is what we're planning to do. We would love to be in DC, we'd love to be in Dallas, we'd love to be somewhere in the Midwest, like Indianapolis or Chicago. We'd love to go to the PNW, Seattle baby. Cali would be great. Atlanta would be great. So major hubs, major cities that are within a couple hours of driving distance of of most of our listeners would be amazing. Because what we all recognize is this, there's just no substitution for in-person fellowship. There's no substitution for in-person interactions. And I think we're just so hungry for that. As a community, we would love, love, love to do that. So if you guys have a good church, a good recommendation, you know somebody, you're on staff, please let us know, and we would love to talk to you guys. What I'm loving, let's go ahead and skip this today, just because it's a long day. Um, we got a lot to get into. I mean, Maybe I'll just plug Be Good, uh, Be Good clothing brand. It's a clothing brand associated with Story Church. I'm wearing their hat right now. It's called Psych Department, which just means saying like, hey, I need help. Like in my head, I need help. They got a bunch of clothing. It's called Therapy is Dope. Uh, That's like one of their main taglines, which I think is cool. I, I love that. From a church perspective, they totally endorse therapy. And listen, I used to be like when I heard therapy, 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 like, okay, that's not a replacement for Jesus. And correct it's not a replacement for jesus but it is a great 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 uh supplement to life and fellowship with jesus we talked about this with gary thomas you have someone who has seen countless 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 stories they are so full of wisdom it's literally their full-time job think about your full-time job like if you're i don't know in finance say you're a stockbroker you know stocks really, really well. And so when somebody comes up to you saying, Hey, I need help, you know, with this retirement plan or investing, you're like, That's great. I've seen a lot of stocks, I've done a lot of retirement plans, I have tons of experience. Versus, you know, there's that one guy who's like, I'm just gonna day trade by myself and flush ten thousand dollars down the toilet, okay? There's a reason why these people specialize in therapy and helping and counseling. It's because they have tons of experience and they have tons of wise counsel. So that's why I love counseling. That's why I love therapy. It's so wonderful. And that's really how if you want to be that great husband, that great wife that you desire, that's where counseling is so effective. You can really get a head start on healing before it becomes an external problem in marriage. So that's all I'll say. I love the Therapy is Dope Clothing I've become, over my time with therapy, a huge advocate for it. It's been really wonderful. Now, okay, for the episode, let's jump in. So, frankly, I'll be honest. You guys know I'm more transparent here than other places. I could not really believe that a post of Kate's or Heart of Dating gathered this much controversy. Like, there's been times where dating multiple people, I could see that's controversial in the sense of it's a very, very new concept If you're very, very uh, traditional in your view of dating or have not done a lot of research on dating, I totally see how it catches you off guard. You know, you're swapping the term dating with relationship, and I totally get it. This one where really what we were basically just saying is it's not okay for women to have to say yes habitually to sex, even... They don't feel like it. They feel unsafe. They feel fearful. They feel ashamed. They feel all these different things. We were basically just reminding that, like, hey, sex should be completely voluntary and sex, you should be enthusiastic about it. Like, it should absolutely be beneficial and pleasurable for both sides. Right. And just like to set the foundation imagine this imagine man or woman here. If every time you had sex, it was only your partner orgasming and that's it. That's all sex was. Well, (laughs) that wouldn't be very attractive over time, right? It would definitely feel like a chore in every sense. So the reason why we're talking about this is because 70, like, I'm not sure if you guys saw this, but when 77% of women on Kate's story, non-married women, are responding and saying, I am fearful and I have anxiety about sex. We should absolutely stop everything and say, Hey, what's going on here? What are your fears? What are you anxious about? We would love to create an empathetic safe space to talk about this because the ultimate objective for hearted dating. And the marriages that we want to see is that it is marriages filled with men and women who both desire sex who both desire to pleasure and honor the other person in sex and sex like is attractive for you guys that's why you know we're in season 10 talking about this so that from the very beginning of your sexual experiences within marriage it can be somewhat delightful and the learning experiences and the awkward experiences Right, are something that you can kind of laugh at together and enjoy together and grow in together. It doesn't have to be filled with shame and condemnation that you guys can be really, really equipped to go into your sexual journey together, set up for success. That's why we're here. And so with that goal in mind, when we talk about something like 1 Corinthians 7, that's the foundation. The foundation is not so that We can empower women just to say no whenever they want. And that's that. Like The ultimate goal is so that woman and that man can both get to a place where they desire to have sex and to fulfill one another. But to get there, we have to look at the barriers in the way and talk about them. And when you're talking about anxiety and fear, like, I'm sorry, but... The best response to anxiety and fear is not pointing to a Bible verse always saying that you're obligated to have sex with me, okay? That's the worst thing as a husband if my wife did not want to participate in sex and there's major blockers and she's saying, no, no, no. Like, I don't feel secure. I feel ashamed. I feel embarrassed. Whatever reason it is, what kind of husband would I be if I just slapped a Bible verse in her face and saying, I don't care. You're obligated to have sex with me right, to fulfill your duty as a wife. How's that gonna go, right? Like, I just, I'm so sorry, but that is like, what we absolutely don't see as a heart of marriage or see as a healthy marriage or a marriage that glorifies Christ, like we really don't. And so when it comes to controversial things in the church, there's foundational things to be unified on, the deity of Christ, the existence of the Trinity, Christ's residency in our soul. The there really is a union common point of 1 Corinthians 7 that we can get to, which is both parties accepting the responsibility that having sex within marriage is a very good thing. And we're going to get there. Okay. But keep in mind before we jump in, this is an episode for singles, which means that for the majority of us speaking on this, We're speaking from a place, right, of inexperience, and we're speaking from a place of third person, I heard this, from this, you know, and we're really speaking about theology in this episode, because unless you are a divorcee, which we have a good amount of, then marital sex, covenantal sex, we're speaking about theology, right, we're not speaking from experience, And overwhelmingly, what I would just say, because I had to do a, a lot more research, is this. The crux of this issue, 1 Corinthians 7, and when it's brought up, is this. It's brought up for sexless marriages. What do I do when my spouse is consistently refusing to have sex with me? Like, it's been years, years, and we haven't had sex. And first... Whoever hears that message, whether you're single, married, divorce, a kid, an adult, our number one response should be empathy there. Anyone who's in a sexless marriage and whatever is going down, there should be nothing but empathy. And I have nothing but empathy and compassion. So when we talk about this, just know it's a very, very serious issue. There's For me, what I immediately go to when I hear about a sexless marriage is this. That should be the, just like what we talked about a few weeks ago is like the check engine light of the health of the marriage, the engine of the marriage. There's like five lights. It's like dangerous. Okay. It's red. It's not like, Hey, you can drive. You can ignore that little orange check engine light, right. And go a couple months ignoring it, hoping it goes well. This is like the red check engine light where your car is smoking. There's fire. There's issues, there's trouble, and we gotta get underneath the hood and get help ASAP, ASAP. Sexless marriages should never be taken on by themselves. That is the white flag. We need help, we need wise counsel, we need pastoral and therapy advice right now. So let's jump in, First Corinthians 7. And as you guys know, we love the context here. What was going on in Corinth, this is the church of Corinth that he's addressing. It was literally, you know, just to give you guys context, whenever you guys hear verses from Corinthians, you should think one thing. Corinth was a wild place. Sexually speaking, it was one of the most sexually devious, disastrous cities in the time of the early church. That's why when you see scripture regarding the sexuality of the Corinthians, just know it was messy. I mean, you literally have dudes who are being called out by Paul for having sex with their stepmoms. Paul is literally saying stuff in in 1 Corinthians saying, guys, there's stuff going on in this church that doesn't even happen in the streets of Corinth. Okay, so is this a messy church? Yes, it is. It is very, very messy. And that's the sternness. That's the rebuke that Paul is saying. It hurts me to have to rebuke you this much. But in order to get right, we got to go there. And that's why he says later on in Corinthians, it hurt to do it, but it was out of love and it was out of the goodness. And I delight in your response. I don't delight in having to rebuke you, but I do delight in your response. And keep in mind, what was the marital context of this time? Well, there was was mixed marriages, meaning there were new Christians who were married to pagans and non-Christians, right? And some of them even thought that, hey, now that I am a Christian, I cannot join myself to a pagan, right? So we're gonna have a sexless marriage. And Paul is specifically addressing them as well, saying, no, that's not good. That's not a good thing. And then the last thing, when it came to marriage here, listen to this, and isn't it hilarious how even 2000 years ago in some crazy theology that it sounds similar, Marriage was so revered and so quote-unquote holy that marriage was literally being commanded in the Jewish culture that if you were single, something was was literally wrong with you because you were sinning. Married status was so much on a pe- pedestal. It was so serious that Jewish culture had a list of seven types of people who did not go to heaven. And if a man reached 20, not only was he... If he, again, if he reached 20 without marrying, he was living in sin and singles would not go to heaven. That's how much of a pedestal marriage was put on, how much holier you were if you were married. That was the stakes we were playing. So obviously we're a long way, again, obviously we're a long way from that, but we still have the remnants of, you know, married people are wiser, more mature, more holy. And it's just simply not the case. So when he goes into 1 Corinthians 7, 1, and he says this, it is, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, okay? He's saying, brothers, my, my brothers, if you're single, the Greek word for touch here is hapto. It is good for you to not hapto a woman. The word hapto in Greek means to kindle, ignite, light a fire, which he's basically saying it's good to not sexually touch and turn on a woman, right? It's good for you to be celibate and not touchy-touchy. It's good for you not to ignite the fire by touching a woman, right? And he says that's a very good thing. So he says, hey guys, there's two options, right? If you're celibate here and you're not touching, that's a great thing. And by inverse, he's saying you guys can also get married. And if celibacy... And going without sex is a great thing outside of marriage, then going without sex and going celibate inside of marriage, like you know, the mixed marriages, is a bad thing. He's very, very quick to the point for the people abstaining sex within marriage saying this is not a great thing, right? And then keep in mind there's no third option, right? There's no third option, meaning if you're celibate, you can still engage in sexual relations if you're celibate, you know, you can kind of try around, test your libido with other people. No, he's not saying that, right? He's saying you're celibate and you're not partaking or you're you're in marriage and you are partaking, okay? So that's why the foundation of what we're talking about today is a sexless marriage, there is a problem within a sexless marriage. Now, I would say it's not just the fact that you're not having sex and you got to have sex. I'm saying a sexless marriage is much more than just a sexless marriage. There is absolutely some deeper things going on that we need to tackle. But moving forward, he's saying in verse 7, 3, to render the affection to your wife, right? Affection, the word that he uses is so interesting because he is saying the Greek word here is for debt. You are indebted and obligated to give kindness to your wife, especially husbands like in the time before a sexy time. If that is your primary motivation, you got to put in the work. He's literally saying, guys, the romance, the kindness, the deep affection that women crave, you are indebted to give that. I'll just pause here because we talk about Ephesians five and I'm telling you, I grew up in this culture I saw it with my eyes. I saw it in my house. If you are a man who has to lean on the second half of Ephesians 5 to get your wife to respect you, then I'm so sorry. But you are probably not a man worth respecting. And there's probably 99% of other things in your life that is giving her ample inventory to not respect you is it okay that she doesn't respect you no does she have a great point not to absolutely and anytime men and women this is the same thing for you guys too who snuck in and listened. anytime you have to lean on scripture to slap it in somebody's face to get them to obey it and they're not invited right to choose for themselves that option it's just never going to go well Because unconditional love and what we've been afforded is this. This is my definition of unconditional love. It's a radical acceptance of who you are and where you are. Period. Dot, dot, dot. Balanced with a kind, gentle invitation to grow. To grow. Which is exactly this. Like, as men, I just cannot harp on this enough. Our obligation is not to getting our wives to respect us. Our obligation is not to get our wives to have sex with us. Our obligation is to love them as Christ loved the church. Our obligation is to give them the affection and the kindness that they desire. It really is as simple as this. Hey, honey, how do you feel loved? Well, I'll tell you, Kate is, well, I want I would love, love, love. I would feel so loved if we had a weekly date night and that's great too. And if you could also go to Disney with me, I would feel so loved and that's great too. And if you could actually cook, you know, three to four or five times a week, I'd actually really, really appreciate that because, you know, I just, I, I, I don't, I really, really don't like it. I'm not good at it. I also, you know, would really, really love it if you cleaned up after yourself and even though it seems dumb to you, that you mopped the floors and vacuumed and, and kept this place impeccable. That's how I'd really feel loved. Okay. Let me do that for you. That That is literally how you love your wife. That's how you do it. <laughs> you love them the way that they desire to be loved and cherished. So, like... I just, you know, that's where I'll pause on the, for me, I can, as a man, speak to other men in that sense. And I think that's where Kate can speak to the women because ultimately here is when we talk about these verses and these commands for husbands and wives, I'm surprised that I don't really see this more frequently. I think as a man and as a wife, you can go to a a great pastor and you can heed his counsel and he has permission and authority I just, I I don't know, like, I don't see a world where a husband who is anything other than just willing to lay down his life, create empathy, loving, kind, safe space for his wife is going to be successful when it comes to these kind of challenges, when it comes to respecting him, when it comes to loving him, when it comes to serving him well, because that's exactly what was modeled for us. We were modeled the absolute man of God who is Jesus walking and living in total absolute service to the point of death and sacrifice, this is God himself stooping himself to the level of, yes, a servant washing our feet. And that was his invite to join him. He is God of the universe. You best believe if he wanted, he could snap his finger and have all of us worshiping him. He is God. But yet, what does he do? He gives us the choice. He invites us into his world. He invites us into fellowship. He invites us into obedience. The the commands we're given are commands, but they're saying, hey, you have a choice. And if you choose to abide, these are the commands on which to abide him. But you get to choose whether or not you want to follow this way. And so what is the foundation of marriage? What's the goal of marriage? Is it to have an abundant sex life? No, it it is unequivocally the goal and foundation of marriage is how can I set this person up to be more closer to God? How can I labor away so that they are more encouraged, more empowered, more challenged to love and know God better? That's the foundation of marriage. Okay, the great sex life should be an absolute byproduct of that mission, 1,000%. And so just to go into 1 Corinthians 7.5, before 7.5, right, he establishes sex inside of a marriage is a great thing. It's, It's not good, so stop depriving it, stop manipulating it and withholding it to get a point across. That's not the point of sex and it's not to be used as a manipulative tool. However, there is an exception here for abstaining from sex. He goes, if you do choose to abstain from sex, here is how. First of all, it's with consent. I don't know about you, but when I read that and I saw that consent is biblical, literally the word consent, I was like, man, that's amazing. I'm so happy to see that, that it is abstinence together and consensual. More importantly, Do you want to know what that word consent means in Greek? It's the word symphonos. Symphonos. Does that sound like a familiar word? Because, yes, that's exactly why. It's the base word for symphony. And have you guys ever been to a symphony? And, you know, for me, have you ever been to a symphony and stayed awake? Okay. (laughs) What is it? Well, it's an absolute. Harmonious union of multiple parties on factors. They are absolutely crystal clear on the same page. Okay. So, this mutually uh, agreed upon abstinence is totally mutual, totally agreed, totally on the same page. Okay. And it's also a set amount of time saying, hey, you know, what he says here is in order to go fast and pray, aka. There is a reason behind the abstinence, right? There is, hey, we're gonna abstain for a while and we're gonna go deep dive. We're gonna go pray. We're gonna go heal. We're gonna be severely intentional. There is a goal to abstaining. And this is for a sexless marriage. First of all, you know, the challenge with a sexless marriage is it's typically not a mutual abstinence, right? It's one person enforcing their will over the other. But more importantly, I don't think, like, for me, a sexist marriage signals one thing. They are not on the same page. They are absolutely not on the same page. And one of them is having to use sex as a bargaining tool to say, this is, I, something's not okay with me. Okay, so, and this is where Paul's very clear. It's like, sex is not to be, abstaining from sex is not to be used as a bargaining tool. Okay, okay. So it's very, very clear here, right? Don't withhold it to get a point across. There are better ways to do this. And as men, I would just say this, in a sexless marriage, if you're not getting the sex that you desire, first of all, I'm not about to just sit here and say, it's all your fault, you're not loving your wife, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think that men definitely do get bashed here. But I would just say here, here are some of the things to not do in response to a sexless marriage. And you guys tell me if this sounds like it's above reproach. First of all, <laughs> go ahead and show her First Corinthians 7. Like this is the whole point of the podcast today. Show her 1 Corinthians 7 and see if it's successful. Go ahead, like cut it out, tape it in the bathroom, tape it in the mirror. Go ahead and blow it up on a huge poster board and, <laughs> and tape it above your bed on the ceiling so that when she wakes up, it's the first thing she sees reminding her of the scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, is that going to be successful? (laughs) No. In fact, they're probably going to have to find a new place to live once that couch gets a little too tired because that is not only not going to go well, (laughs) but it's going to work very much against you. So that is just to say very clearly in this kind of situation and context, whipping out a verse and showing it and explaining it away and giving all the context in the world is not going to be successful. It just never, it never is. It's not to say that the scripture is wrong. It's just saying that simply putting scripture in front of somebody does not convince them that this is the way. There are much better ways. Also, here are some other ways that are not in response to a sexless marriage, a great thing for men to do, right? Living above reproach, pouting, pouting, throwing a tantrum. Again, what are you focusing on? when you pout and throw your tantrum. You're focusing on you. You're not focusing, not only are you not focusing on her, but more importantly, you're not even focusing on the root of the problem. It's so unproductive. As men, we love to fix logical problems. Why are we not focusing on the root of this problem as much as possible? Blame. This is one of the worst things you can do. Because of you, we are not having sex. Because of you and your needs and your anxiety, we're not having sex. Because of you and your boundaries, we're not having sex. And then obviously, uh, this kind of crescendos up into higher ones, substitute with porn and masturbation. I'm not really sure why we even have to explain why this is a horrible idea. If you want to go sexless in marriage and turn to porn and masturbation, well, you might as well just say goodbye to Any chance of convincing your wife that you really do care about her and love her and will do anything to meet her needs and make her feel safe and cherished by turning to porn and masturbation. This is a big one. This is probably one of the biggest ones if I had to guess. But hey, if you're not going to be fair to me and if you're not going to fulfill your role and your responsibility, then guess what? I'm not going to do mine. I'm going to emotionally withdraw. I'm going to disconnect. I'm going to say, hey, you chose this. This is your problem. Why would I give you something and not get something in return? Does that sound like the gospel to you guys? Does that sound like the gospel love that we've been afforded? Absolutely not. And then obviously what Paul is saying here is when you go with a sexless marriage, it could ultimately lead to an affair or a divorce. And that is the pinnacle of the sadness of a sexless marriage. So instead, what I would say is do this as you know, this is me addressing the husbands, but it really is collectively to a couple, it would be get on the symphony, get on the harmonious same page and get to that root. What is the root of this issue? And it could be anything. It could literally be a hormonal change on one party or the other party. It could be mental health. It could be depression. It's really, really hard to participate in sex with mental health challenges. It might be, and most likely is this, a sexual wound, a whole sexual trauma of the past that is hindering a sexual response or desire. More importantly, it could absolutely be hindering a sexual response or desire. Or More importantly, it could just be absolutely be surfacing that trauma and that pain that she felt exactly when she might've been raped or had been sexually assaulted. Those feelings and that trauma is absolutely stored in the body. And it's absolutely possible that even though it's not the same situation, that those feelings start to emerge and come back for her. Absolutely. It could be, and most likely is this, there's absolute unfilled emotional voids and needs that you have not been fulfilling. Not only do they not want to sit next to you at night while watching a movie, they of course they don't even want to have intimacy and sex with you. They don't even want to be in the same room with you. And lastly, I've seen this. I'm not really sure. And this is, I'm glad we're talking about this in the season 10. I'm not sure where this might've come from, but sex where only one person is getting off and having pleasure in an orgasm is not sex. <laughs> That's absolutely not sex and i don't know where this has become common but it should absolutely be expected on both parties that both parties are experiencing orgasms during sex and bo- more importantly that should be ultimately your sole focus in sex and pleasures that your sole pleasure or your top pleasure is pleasuring your partner for a guy how would you feel if sex was only for her right like and you never got anything out of it it would not be very enjoyable so you know i would just close with this keep As men, as women, especially singles, like you're gonna address this, but this is your training ground, right? It is the training ground. Like these Ephesians 5, these 1 Corinthians 7, again, keep in mind what's pretty crazy about the New Testament and the Bible in general, there's not that much instruction about marriage. There's really not. There's a lot more instruction about how to live your life as a Christian, how to glorify God in everything, how to pursue grace, how to pursue mercy, how to lay down your life, how to write defeat the enemy than there is about <laughs> instructions in marriage. Those are the instructions that we should follow first. And when we get to the instruction on marriage, it'd we'll be like, Oh, of course. Yeah. That makes total sense. This makes total sense. Of course, I should love my wife the way that Christ loved the church and he loved his bride. And I get the opportunity to advance that same gospel hope that I get to love my wife. Listen, when, in romance and relationships and marriage, when things are great and things are sweet and kind and nice, that's great, but that's not love. <laughs> that's reciprocity, right? That's not love. That's reciprocity. Love is when things are going crazy, things are not okay, and you're choosing to love, a radical love, radical acceptance, radical desire to, to create safe space, And as men, I would just say, if we want to be the best leaders, we get the opportunity and privilege to go first, right? Just like Christ and the bride, we get to be the headship, which means we get to go first in saying, I'm sorry, saying, I got to evaluate myself. I get to go first in taking ownership. I get to go first in saying, I get to fulfill my duty to my wife first, right? That duty is an obligation or a debt that we've been assigned And that's where we get the privilege to go first. And lastly, I know these past few episodes have been hard hitting. I just want to just again, hit hard. I love you fellas. I lead with empathy for men. I have no desire to see sexless marriages for intimacy, for physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual intimacy. I want it all to be abounding. But the big thing here is, do you not desire the same thing? Do you not desire for there to be enthusiastic, mutual, consensual sex? Is that desire not the greater than the sexual itch you have? And if so, then we get that opportunity to take a sledgehammer to any barriers that may be in the way. A sledgehammer of empathy, a sledgehammer of love, a sledgehammer of kindness, that is... opportunity before us and how exciting it is so i love you guys for all those guys who are engaged and about to get married just congratulations we pray nothing but wonderful intimate marriage and including a wonderful sex life for you all thank you guys have a wonderful day Woo! this was a long one i'll talk to you guys soon